Bobby the Parker picking pumpkins perpetually. You can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode two of Be Real, guys, with me, Noah Ballard. And me, Chance Solon Pfeiffer. There he is. Where are we, man? Well, usually <laughs> one of us is in Portland and the other one is in Brooklyn. Right. That is 100% right. No. Chance lives in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I still live in Brooklyn. Yes. Um, but it's usually a- we record that in two different places, and then Chance uses his magic and puts it together. Right. Uh, a Faustian bargain at work. A Faustian bargain. But today, Chance is visiting me in my apartment in Brooklyn, here, way down uh, Flatbush Avenue, in Prospect Lefferts Gardens. Pretty healthy ride in the Q train this afternoon. Did you notice the length? It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. You did a couple of good Ben Gibbard impressions. Yeah, at least Chance was with me. The ride is so much easier when there's someone with you. And you just made a lovely dinner of uh, stuffed peppers and vodka. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. No, I made a little stuffed pepper, a little like uh, some chili fixins in there, a nice little like two level cheese action That'd going on. That's the most folksy thing you've ever said in your entire life. What did I say? You said chili fixins. Yeah, chili fixins. Well, we were talking about mixers. Like, what constitutes a mixer? That was basically what we talked about over dinner, right? Yeah. Fixins and mixers. Those are my words for tonight. New name of this podcast. Fixins and mixers. Or the, the mini pod that we'll do after this. This can be like the deep cuts. Like, when you get the DVD, you'll, you'll, this will be like... Right, like when you buy an album of podcasts that no one wants to hear and you have We're going to put one out. <laughs> I honestly think this will be out on uh, CD before you ever put it up on iTunes. Nice. Yeah. What are we talking about tonight, man? We're talking about movies that deal with people returning to, like, a home location after, like, a major figure in a family has died. Yeah. Or, or, in, like or in a, a social group. A social group has died. Where someone is, people return to a central location after someone has died. Right. Because on Be Real Guys, we're trying to hone in on very specific genres of movies. Right. Very specific and... You know, our conceit is that people will tell you that, like, oh, this movie made a lot of money, or, like, right. this movie was, like... People are always saying that This to movie me. won awards, but they're not going to tell you, like, is this movie good? Right. Like, is it watchable, and is it also, like, quality? So it's that's where we break it down. Chance, explain the system. The system, as always, the four-grade metric is good-good, which means a high level of watchability and of cinematic quality. What are you calling that, like, uh, Cinderella Man? <laughs> I might well, I don't know if a lot of people would agree with me I would agree I think Cinderella All Man right. like, has a pretty compelling story and also is like a pretty entertaining film Bad Bad would be a low level of watchability and cinematic quality like uh... Bad, we're doing Bad Bad right now? yeah Bad Bad what's Bad Bad? Um, like Focus with Will Smith and Margot no, Robbie no, no. okay this is the next episode we, we saw Focus today we did see Focus um, no what's an actual Bad Bad movie? Bad Bad movie would be like um I'm only thinking of, like, bad, good movies. Right. Uh, 
Try to try to stay on the bright side. Like white chicks. That was my example what? from last. <laughs> no, let's keep that as a running joke. White chicks. Um, a, a good bad movie would be a, a, a high level of quality and a low level of watchability. Like Schindler's List. Like or Schindler's Requiem List. for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. We should make that one of the category, like one of the themes one time. Just like movies that are known to be like just unwatchable. <laughs> Uh, and, and then Bad Good is uh, highly watchable, not... Uh, like The Negotiator. Like The Negotiator. Or like... We've got uh, an injured cop coming through. <laughs> We've got an injured cop here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We did Garden State. Garden State. We did... Which I felt like needed... I feel like there's been a lot of think pieces recently about like critically reappraising Garden State. And I just want to get my two cents in. So There was one in Rolling one. Stone. Yeah. And I think like Vulture did one too around the same time. You got to Anywho, the and, other one was Big Chill. Yep. Classic Lawrence Kasdan, like early 80s, like Glenn Close looking pretty like nice yeah. era. Yeah. Yeah. Not yet fatally attracted. Um, wait, is, wait, is that Sharon Stone? No, that's yeah, basic, basic instinct. instinct. Anyway, whatever. And then we, to keep it topical, because yeah. we really want to have our finger on the pulse of movies from last year. <laughs> We watched This Is Where I Leave You. Well, I also want to talk about This Is Where I Leave You because um, uh, I was having a conversation with... Oh, that's the other thing. If you masochism? To the, what's that? Well, you want to talk about it because of masochism? I want to talk about it because I was having a conversation with um, one of my... Well, the, the thing that people should know that like I work in book publishing. So I was talking to one of the writers I work with, Justin Taylor, about... Is Jonathan Tropper considered like a literary writer? And Jonathan Tropper wrote the book upon which the movie is based. Okay. Have and you read that book? What's that? You read the book? No. Okay. Because I saw the movie. Um, we don't want to spoil what we think about the movie, but keep going. <laughs> but yeah, we couldn't figure it out. And then we went to a bookstore and looked at like the packaging of the book to decide like. Is it being marketed as sure. like a commercial book, or is it being marketed as like a very serious literary book? And like the cover is so bizarrely like neutral in every single way. Interesting. It's like a weird sort of like nondescript shape image, and then like his name and the title of the book, and like and it's a lot of colors, and it's like, but it's also like a matte finish, so it has that feel of like a serious literary work. Interesting. So you're saying it's like straddling the line yeah. between like pop and higher brow? Yeah, and like nobody I've ever spoken to has read it. So I don't, I don't know like if he's a huh. good writer. And I'm afraid to open it. Three months ago, I had a great job and a nice apartment, and I was in love with my wife. When? <laughs> How long? A year. This is the first time. On our sides. <sighs> Hello. I imagine. All right, so I think it makes sense now to then just continue on into This Is Where I Leave You. Okay. Since we're talking about Jonathan Tropper, the author of the book upon which the movie is based. Alrighty. Chance, you want to, like, give us the basic plot? Or I could do it. Whatever's easier. We can give it a go. We can, Or we can tag team. We can tag team. Um, so, uh, fair to say that... Uh, so we've already basically told you the general plot, because that's the genre of the film we're discussing. But this one, Chance... The patriarch of the family dies. Passes away, and so the uh, the four children descend back on the... Well, it's not even like where the movie starts, because the movie has kind of this prologue of yeah. Jason Bateman working at like a radio show. Produces like a shock jock show with Dax Shepard. With Dax Shepard as the shock jock. Yes. And then like, 
he's this really nice guy. And he's like bringing coffee to all his coworkers. He's great. Everyone loves him. And then of course he like comes home early to surprise his wife like on uh, her birthday. And like Dax Shepard just like. <laughs> you said a horrible thing just now. You got a horrible thing. Arguably worse than Dax Shepard in that movie. You I thought bang it was on the appropriate. Oh my god, okay. Anyway, so at this point, you don't think it can get any worse in the film. And uh, a month passes or something, because uh -huh. he grows his beard, he goes from clean-shaven to bearded. Yeah, so, like, sure sign. 30 days has passed, and this is the great thing about this movie, because it just, like, it, like, tees up a cliche and then just hits the fuck out of it. <laughs> like, like, how do we know time has changed? Oh, he's got a sad beard. Like, clearly he's yeah. sad. And then he, he gets this phone call from, what, his sister? His mother? What was his it? His sister, Tina Fey, calls him and just says, Dad's Tina Fey, dead. yeah, yeah. Tina Fey playing against type incredibly, I would say. Kind of. I thought her and performance was the only interesting thing about the film. Oh, wow, I don't agree. Okay, interesting. Okay, but we should keep, let's, let's keep giving people the plot. Um, so anyway, her father's died. Jane Fonda's the mom. Jane Fonda's the mom. And the, the, the patriarch of the family has died. And the mother, has, the mother is claiming that the last request the father had was they all sit Shiva. One final request, and we are going to honor it. He just wanted his kids under one roof. So for the next seven days, you are all grounded. Troubled male writer type you know, who just dreams of living a simpler life upstate. Writer or radio producer. Or, like, whatever. He's a vaguely, like, you know... Creative person. Creative person. And then Adam Driver comes in. Just, Adam Driver's little brother. Just killing it. Um, big brother is, I just want to call him Peter Russo. Of course all. Yeah. Sister's Tina Fey, and then the mother's Jane Fonda. Yep. Oh, and there's the weird, like, frittata Timothy Oliphant across the street. Yep. And then there's the Adam Driver's dating his like 20 year older therapist, played by Connie, Connie Britton, Britton, the mom from uh, Friday Night Lights. Because it hit every cliche, it hit this like weird like brilliance to it no. that it just like it did everything it could, and then like a little bit more that you thought it could. Exhaustion. It could. Exhaustion. Oh. It it hit it, it tried to it hit all these home runs in batting practice, and it was yeah. it was too tired for the game. Yeah, I mean, the end yes. of the movie... Well, the movie you know feels other, just you know very... Day, you know the other day we talked about how Troy feels like it starts over and over and over again? Yeah, yeah. And Wolfgang Peterson, like, demands to have an overture and, like, a skyward camera sweep <laughs> of Troy. Yeah. This movie feels like it's ending in every scene. Yeah. Which is what bothered me so much. The tone is so overly sentimental that it feels like every scene from 20 yeah. minutes into the movie is going to be the last scene. We were never the same after we lost our baby. Hang on. You're not gonna use our miscarriage as an excuse for fucking my boss for a year, are you? No, that's not what I'm saying. So that sounds like what you're loading up. No. Great. I'm saying that we were- Which is like a, a really horrible feeling because you become It just like thinks, because it has this like super high pedigree cast, it's I think it, it, cast. it really like, the production of this movie like took itself very seriously. Yes. Like Multiple do you Alexi think Murdoch that maybe- songs. Oh. Uh, something, something orange sky. Yeah, definitely. Not that one. All my was... days was all my days in there. No, you know, it's sappy. It's it all. Um, but yeah, I just think it's. Do you think it's the direction of the film and the production that made the story bad, or do you think it's like? Because I personally think this movie is like 
I'd watch it on cable. I'd put it like with the Family Stone. Oh my God. Well, that, okay, I'll buy that. Yeah. But I think the Family Stone is also not very good. <laughs> um, I think, I think, okay, so I had a hard time because I watched this and then I watched Big Chill the next day. Oof, Big Chill. Which, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, Big Chill 30 years before. But like a movie like this can't exist without somehow having the Big Chill in its consciousness. Oh, look yeah. At all the things that Big Chill did right, that this movie did wrong. I think directing and editing was a huge part of that. You had entire scenes where they're just like ping-ponging around the yeah, room with yeah. this kind of like manic four-person uncomfortable well, you also energy have, like, that, that doesn't reveal anything and it's just uncomfortable because the the camera isn't like playing hungry hungry hippos. Right. Them. Well you also have the problem too that it's like well A it's a like a huge ensemble cast, but B, just like you don't know who to watch because there's so many names in it. Yeah, that's and, true. And it sort of has that like dream team paradox to it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, you have all It's just the like a lot there, of so really talented get, yeah, people. You don't get the most out of anyone. Yeah, it's a lot of really talented people not really doing anything like of, of note, except for Tina Fey. Wait, See, that's how I felt about Adam Driver, that he was so goofy that he was the only one could ex who could exist in the, like, horrible conversational splinter Driver, cells of this movie. Like, when Adam Driver was offered this role, I think he probably thought to himself, like, hey, here's, I like, a... I could take this to Citibank. Like, here's a $10 million payday that they really just want me to be, like, my character from Girls, and then he just did that for, like, what? He's only in, like, six scenes because there's just so right. many people in this goddamn movie. Yeah. But, like, I think everyone phoned it in, except for Tina Fey. I... What do you, you don't think... think... Was, what do you think was so good about her? Because I feel like she should be really good in movies. She's got this combination of, like... But yeah, I like just she's like, like an irreverent stickler thing going on. It's one of those wasn't... rare moments where I like forgot it was her. So can, can I talk about a really genre specific, like this specific genre? I feel like what you get, what's so appealing about this kind of movie from a writing standpoint is you don't have to struggle at all with where to start. It's ready made for you plot Because the death is the inciting to incident. jump in with people, Yeah. But then this movie crumbles under the weight. You get to take advantage of that. That's nice. You get a little, you get a little leap. Um, it's, you get to start in the middle. You're not burdened down by a big prologue. But then... I just think you're giving this movie too much credit. I it, think but it dies when it tries to do exposition. Because then they all go to the house and all they do... I don't buy any of the reminiscing to the point where... It, oh. It's just kind of like... It's so weird to be back here. Well, that, Do you remember when this happened? Well, that's what I think is so, like, funny about the movie. Because, like, even... And I'm, like, going to be a Tina Fey apologist. But even Tina Fey, none of them have any chemistry with each other. Like, that's none. That's really true. But why is that? Because they well, should, all, right? Like, they all almost think that they're in different movies. Like, if you look at it. Like, Timothy Oliphant, like, he definitely thought he was going to get, like, a Best Supporting Actor like, like <laughs> nomination for this. <laughs> Tina Fey thought she was in, like, a serious indie he drama. He thought it was his I Am Sam. Tina Fey thought she was in, like, a really serious, like, August Osage County level drama. August Osage County is... Another yeah. movie with a ton of people in it that, like, isn't very good. Yeah. Anyway. But, you know, the, I thought about August Osage County when I was watching this movie because as abrasive as that movie is what you get out of it is the feeling that 
the matriarch Meryl Streep right. has like really like rendered a certain personality onto all these people. Not the feeling you get from this movie where Jane Fonda's like over mothering, overexposed. I wrote right. a memoir about my kids thing. Oh just yeah, that's like the weird like thing about petulant it. Petulant backtalk. Did you ever see that movie, uh, Adult Child of Divorce? No. With Adam Scott, which is like a similar kind of thing. Oh, it, had, where... it was like billed with an acronym, right? ACOG, okay. and it's on Netflix, I think. Okay. But there was the idea that like this guy got really fucked up because he was like in all these books as a kid. Right, it's okay. also like the conceit of Gone Girl. I have Gone Girl. They're all in a book written down in my notes. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Jason Bateman and Adam Driver are like really keyed into the fact that like this is just a big budget Hollywood movie, yeah. and they're getting paid really well for it, and they're gonna do like what they need to. But Jane Fonda, on the other hand, like thinks she's in some, like, madcap, like, slapstick comedy from, like, 40 years so ago. So true. Yeah. Yeah. This movie sucks. No. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that it does. I think this movie is, I, like, kind of funny in the fact that, like, how dumb it is. Kind of funny in... Like, if you buy into the fact, like, a, I, it's like a Nicholas Sparks movie or something. Like, I just saw... Oh, I just saw uh, The Longest Ride. And if you take it for, like, the genre it is, brilliant film. I say the same thing is true about this one. Making it, what, You're, good, bad? No, you mean bad, good. Bad, good. And it's bad, bad. I, I, Favorite I, soundtrack I, moment of the film? No, you got one? I have one. It's uh, <laughs> the B-side from Coldplay's 2008 landmark record Viva La Vida, Reign of Love, that comes in the last 15 minutes. Interesting. Yeah. What was song was playing when he drives off into the sunset up 95, because he's never made it more than 50 miles from where he grew up? <laughs> he's got this thing about how Maine is. Okay, so I wrote down on my first page of notes here, why does this music from 2014 have a Cider House Rules soundtrack? <laughs> and then at the end, he drives up to Maine. And I've written down, to Maine, my sons. <laughs> you kings of New England. To Maine. This movie blows. Next movie? Let's hit it. Okay. Oh, can we just throw a shout out to Corey Stahl, who's now been typecast as a uh, guy with short temper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh. He should have been uh, the guy from Bloodline. Continue. So what movie are we doing now? You want to talk Big Chill? Unless you want to go Garden State. We can do whatever you like. Let's talk Big Chill because I feel like you, we want to have a, you want to do a reappraisal of Garden State. And I want Fine. some personal context for Garden State. I have a good anecdote about Garden State. I bet you do. So let's do Big Chill. It's about everything. Uh, uh, suicide, despair, uh, where did our hope go? Lost hope. That's it. Lost hope. Columbia Pictures invites you to return to the weekend that started it all. Let me let me segue with this. Hit it. Specific question about this specific genre of movies. Does the dead person mean something to the movie? Right. And this is where I leave you. The no. dad means nothing. None of them in, have even met the dad. In, <laughs> in Big Chill, Alex means everything well you know like the weird thing about this movie is that it used to be 15 minutes longer and, and it Costner's had a own. prologue with yeah. kevin costner like as the friend in this weird like flashback prologue yep and then like the body in like the like the insert shots at the beginning of the film is kevin costner's body that's right so 
all the actors in the film, in fact, dealt with another human being yeah. in scenes and like made memories with him. So do you think that plays into him? I think it definitely does. Yeah. Well, I think I feel like what's an interesting leapfrog off of that is people have, have asked the... What was the director's name? Oh, Lawrence Kasdan. People have asked Kasdan, will you ever dele- release a director's cut with Kevin Costner in it? And he said, the movie is my director's cut. That's the piece of art. I'll never put out anything else. Big Chill is like, I've got to say, my top maybe 15 movies of all time. Of all time? Yeah, like just for me personally, like movies that I just keep watching over and over again. Looking at a nice Jaws poster to your left here. Is that first? Oh, Jaws is definitely top five. Yeah. Okay, that's good. But I come back to Big Chill like quite often. Yeah. It's like just a movie you can throw on while you're like... Because it's really like weirdly episodic. It's like Animal House in that way. Animal House, another movie that's on like my top 15. But like it's these weird little episodes that exist almost like sitcom episodes. Yeah. That you can just like, you're never, the movie doesn't have like an overarching plot, would you say? I know, I wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, it's just a weekend. It's basically just just like the first four episodes of a sitcom. Yeah. Um, The plot real quick. That we should catch people up on. Alex, Alex is the dead this, guy. Yeah, is their like college friend. They're all basically. college friends from Michigan. It's basically the weekend you're gonna have with people when I die. It's pretty strong stuff. Ugh, I feel terrible. Yeah. Last time I spoke with Alex, we had a fight. I yelled at him. That's probably why I killed himself. And then, so all the college friends get back together. Uh, great, again, great ensemble cast. They, they're Kevin, in, like, Virginia at... Um, South Carolina. They're in South Carolina at uh, Kevin Klein's like, summer house. Yeah. Or, like, whatever yeah. accent Kevin Klein has <laughs> in this entire film. Kevin Klein He was and, staying out at the, uh, what is it? The summer house. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Klein and, uh, and Glenn Close are kind of the responsible couple of the group. Right. Well, let's talk about the dynamic a little bit. So much like This Is Where I Leave You, it's a very like, I mean, I guess it's stock now, but at the time probably was not. Exactly. Um, like, it's, so there's, it's basically three guys, three girls. Uh, yes? Se- seven person, four guys. Four guys, yep. three girls. So you have Kevin Klein and Glenn Close who are married with two kids. Yep. And... He, like, sells shoes. He's, like, a shoe distributor. Yeah. And they, like, just got bought out by Nike or something. So he has some money. And they right. have, like, a couple of houses. Mm-hmm. And the kids are... there. They have kids, but they're not in the movie. Yep. Um, Did we say they all... Yeah, they all get together for his funeral. Right. They all get together for his funeral. Right. Alex's funeral. And they happen to have the funeral in South Carolina. North Carolina? What did you say? Yeah, South Carolina. South Carolina because Alex was, like, living with them at the time. Yep. And or so, living in that house. He was living in, like, the summer house. <laughs> yes. So, uh, other characters. Jeff Goldblum, who naps through most of the film. Right, which is a joke and a really well done one. It's a really good one. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum looked probably the best thing about this movie, but also probably the least, like, notable character right. in the film. And, and he's uh, a journalist for uh, People, he's a, People magazine. I, uh, I write articles as long as the average human crap. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I don't t- have a, your Jeff Goldblum was better. Do yours for a little while. It's a well. The, the, the thing about this movie is there, are, there aren't any dinosaurs in this movie. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 uh, 
You and Dr. Sadler aren't uh, <laughs> involved, are you? <laughs> Why, uh, yes, uh, we are. Tom Berger plays basically who is uh, He's like a, Don Johnston. Exactly. John, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Or Don Johnston. Don Johnston's great. Um, he's like basically a, Don Johnson. He's in like a Miami Vice level. Beautiful 80s TV star. Or like a Magnum PI or something called uh, like yeah. Lance. What is it called? J.C. Langman? It's J.T. Lancer. J.T. Lancer. J.T. Lancer. <laughs> I'm glad I could get And they watched the like the intro to J.T. Yeah. Lancer in one of the scenes and it's hysterical. Yeah. Um, William Hurt. William Hurt is just on drugs? He's on on drugs. He's a Vietnam vet. And, and his dick doesn't work. And his dick doesn't work. And his dick doesn't work. And that's huge. Um, okay, so you have Meg Tilly, who's what? She's she's dating the guy who dies. Yes. And she's... Who she himself. serves as like this weird window into Alex's life because none of them have talked. They were the best of friends in college and they haven't... Yeah, and Joe Beth Williams is sort of a like a stay-at-home mom. Mary Kay Place is the corporate lawyer. Yep. I just like about who which character do you sympathize with the most? You know, it's weird. The, the the most brilliant piece of like type combination, I think, is actually the fact that Kevin Klein is both the one that they all kind of despise in a way because he's like sold out, right? Right. But he's also like the fun leader of the group. Right. He's like the dad so... of the group. Yeah. He's like, like the patriarch of this. Uh... Yeah, but he's really like goofy and jaunty and makes everyone happy. But I think, well, that's the thing about the film is this this is the first time that Kevin Klein is the patriarch, but because I, I think Alex once was. Because that's a great point. Like, this is basically, the, the overarching story here in this movie is college friends dealing with one of their friends, like, their close friends dying. Maybe not the patriarch, but, like, the glue. Yeah, he was definitely, like, the biggest personality, I think. Yeah. Because they're all, like, kind of boring. That's true. You know, they're all kind of, like, they do interesting things, but they're vaguely unhappy. Like, no one's really happy. Right. And I think that's like what's the that's the drama of the film is Everyone's like really them happy. revealing how unhappy they are and then like what efforts they make to try to become happy now that they're around their old friends. Mostly with prescription drug abuse. Mm. Well, that's Nick. Is that something well, you want to try, Chance? See what it's like. <laughs> One of my that's favorite. A, that's a great Kevin Klein as Harold impression. Thank you. I've been, I've been thinking about that one for a while. Oh man, he's so funny in that movie. I mean, we could talk about some of the timeliness. I feel like people have written about that really well. What do you the, mean? The fact that they're, I, the idealism that they've lost and that they're all sort of realizing they've lost yeah. is not only sort of the natural outgrowing of college, but has everything to do with the fact that they went to college in the 60s. Right. The late 60s and it's now the 80s. And Kevin Costner like, only listens to like, Motown, basically. Yeah. And uh, yeah, music from that era. Um, I did you I had a great time thinking about how this like the really like successful and influential soundtrack from this movie related to the influential soundtrack from Garden State. Yeah, definitely. In terms of timeliness. Was they were kind of like retro-y songs at the time and I think it like right. created a resurgence. It would have been in the same way that like the Shins and like even like that Thievery Corporation songs from like 2005. Like that's from I mean what what year is Garden State? Oh, 04. Oh, then it, I'm sorry. It's before that. It's like 95 then. Yeah. It's from like 10 years before the movie came out. Yeah. Interesting. But it's, yeah, it's music that 30-year-olds are into. Or late 20-somethings. 
But anyway, we'll go back to Garden State later. We're still in the big chill. What is the message of this film, Chance? Oh, you also didn't answer, like, who you sympathize with the most. Oh, sorry. I th- actually think maybe... Actually, I think it might be Kevin Klein. I'm Jeff Goldblum all the way. Yeah. In addition, you instantly come up against a question of style. My style may be too uh, uh, direct. Perhaps given my style, I seem more nakedly opportunistic or jerky or... Uh, what was the other thing? Uh, manipulative? Whatever. But really all that's happening is that I'm trying to get what I want. Well, I kind of like Goldblum. Like, he's a city guy and he's trying to, like... He just likes to romanticize the simpler life. And just wants to sleep with his friends from college. <laughs> Who doesn't want that? Oh, man. Uh, uh, another great thing about this movie in comparison to This Is Where I Leave You, because that was the lens through which I watched it, right. is as I already talked about, This Is Where I Leave You is like um, like playing pinball inside a symmetrical polygon of like horrible banter. And this movie, like actually the experience of hanging out with seven friends from college would be is all about one-on-one interactions with people right. and what the individual pairings are like and what those dynamics are. Yeah. Um, Which I think is very familiar to a lot of people. Yeah, it's how humans are. The, right. the problem with that uh, first movie is that I uh, had never met a person before. Right. Nothing like you described. Not at all. Not one of those people looks like I thought they would. I can't believe these are the same people you've been talking about all these years. Really? <laughs> to hear the way you describe me to them. <laughs> yeah, man. This is a really good movie. Which, I, think, saying, I actually think we're the first people to say that. Good, good? Right? Has anyone ever positively reviewed the big show? Get out of here. Okay. Yeah, it's Wait, good, good. Why, my question good. is this, we're going to talk about the cultural sort of context here for yeah. the big show. When... Jack Black in High Fidelity says immediate disqualification for its involvement with the Big Chill, referencing you can't always get what you want by right. the Rolling Stones. Right. What does he mean? I thought he was demeaning the Big Chill like as a legitimate film. He probably, I think he was. But the Big Chill like is pretty great. Yeah, but maybe you don't think that if you're like a snobby record store guy. I don't know. I thought the Big Chill was like kind of, I don't know. I mean, wasn't it critically well received? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's great. It's terrific. I don't get it. Why wouldn't people like that movie? I don't know. Good, good, though. We agree? I would agree that it is. This good, is the first good. time we've ever agreed on anything. I recognize you from TV. Didn't you play the retarded quarterback? Yeah. Are you really retarded? No. I thought you killed yourself. Let's move to the third movie. Is there ever a Natalie Portman, Zach Braff sex scene? In Garden State? Yeah. You've seen it like a hundred times. I have. Why are you asking me? I can't remember, which means probably no. There's no there's no sex scene. They never sleep together. They do. There's a bed scene where they're... Uh, there's like a... Like they're spooning a... afterwards. And Zach when, when, they're in like the... The, uh, when they're in the castle? No. They, no. They sleep like... In, where do they end in up? In her bed or his bed. In a bed. One of their beds. Interesting. And he's like the sad dream. Chance, I'm going to ask you this. Isn't what's annoying about Garden State the fact that it's basically (laughs) spot on about just like how life is? Like it's just so like, it's so, it's, I don't know. There's something about it that's just like so like, yes. That when you immediately see it or when people saw it in what, 2004, 2005, people were like, 
fuck yeah. Like that movie. But then something about it, like we all sort of came out of its, its like weird spell. And then 10 years later, everybody was like, wait a minute. Anybody watched Garden State recently? I feel like that movie was like really well regarded in its time. Definitely. I mean, I was looking at accolades today. Empire has ranked it as one of the 500 best movies of all time. That movie's terrible. You think it's... Wow. Harsh I words. Think... Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can we make the, Can we get personal a little bit? Let's talk about it. You and me. I I'll turn be... off these microphones right now. I want to be there with you. There. They're off. <laughs> You're from the Garden State. I am from the Garden State. You've had a lot of formative experiences in the Garden State. Yeah. This movie probably spoke to you pretty deeply as well that was the thing about it is that like if you look at the basic plot of the film like it has nothing to do like with anything i did growing up no because you weren't a 26 year old failed actor but like i guess like jersey does like lend itself to meeting weird people and then like going on weird like sort of driving road trips to like weird places but like isn't that everywhere like there's really nothing super jersey about no. Yeah. Garden State. As a person with lim- very limited skills. Other than it's know. like such, it exists as almost like weirdly not related synecdoche of like New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So I saw Garden State in the theaters when it came out in like, what, 2005? Four. Four. Dating this girl who I now refer to as my kryptonite. And we saw the movie. Saw. We saw. <laughs> we saw the movie. And we came out of it and I was like, wow, like this, because I was like 14 or 15 at the time. Yeah. I was like, wow, like that movie was like great. Like all the themes, all the like the things going on with it. Right. And I thought she was going to have like opinions about like that stuff too. And she goes, I've never seen a movie that had like a weird, like just sort of like five seconds of black in the middle. Do you notice that about Garden State? Are you sure she didn't just fall asleep? No. Where's the black? Garden State has like two very distinct acts. So my thing is, my weird thing is... You're staring at me like I'm a lunatic. No, 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 no. This This is important. I feel like this is the experience that people have this movie. The experience that people don't have, who were born in 1990, is never seeing it and then watching it for the first time before they do a podcast. You've never seen the movie? I've never seen Garden You didn't State. have like a childhood interaction with it or like an early adulthood no, interaction with that? No, okay. not at all. Okay. Um, and so I had the sort of odd feeling, sort of the same feeling I had when I watched Big Chill for the first time. Yeah. As though I was like watching like America in reverse. And had to like recontextualize from some point I had no basis for. But then but then think about everything that had sort of ripped it off and been influenced by it. I had to retrojectorize that in like a really odd way. Because, you know, it was the first movie to do a lot of these things. I what, think be cute for 90 minutes? <laughs> kind of though, right? Yeah. But the quote from that Rolling Stone thing, um, John Dolan wrote that it was the film that, quote, helped make Hollywood safe for indie pop. Yeah. And now what? Three times a year we get a movie whose trailer is Arcade Fire and Sunspot and someone, like, running across a thing and then 
probably screaming for some sort of existential catharsis. Right. We get that all the time, but this, yeah. this is one of the first movies to do that. Well, what did you think of it then? Like, watching really it, as, like a, it as a citizen of 2015. I didn't really like it. Well, because it's... Well, that's the thing. It's, like, it's unprecedented in, like, the damage it did to, like, you know, what an indie drama, like, an indie, like, dramedy is supposed to look like. So one of the weird things about this movie is that... So I was thinking about it in terms of, you know, they're not, you know, they they don't have an like an aesthetic relation or they're not aesthetically um, kin at all. But I was thinking about like this, this sort of getting at like, everyone's just sad. And like, we have a couple of reasons as to like why you might be sad. Like Wes Anderson does that a lot in his work, right? <laughs> but the thing is that... The weird thing about Zach Braff writing and directing this movie, yeah, is that it's really a vanity project. There's explain. There's a lot of conceitedness right. to the idea that you write and cast yourself in a movie about general depression, and then kind of try and explain that with close-up shots of your face and visual explorations of yourself. And I was thinking about, like, Royal Tenenbaums. And, for you know, for all the criticisms you can make about um, Wes Anderson and how things are over-aestheticized, he's fundamentally interested in other people. This movie could not give a shit <laughs> about other people. From from first shot to last shot, from head to toe, you mean from weird white ceiling Zach to Braff. weird white floor. Yeah. Yeah. It's a vanity project. Interesting. But again, this is also the observation of someone... Well, Zach Braff, like, sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think that's yeah. pretty... Like, See you next time <laughs> on Be Real Guys. <laughs> Wasn't that pretty established? Did you, like, read that dumb, like, New York Times article about, like, Zach, Zach Braff's, like, really, like, hip apartment? Of Zach Gaff? Yeah. I no, mean, like, I he's no kind of, like, every interview I read with him are like, have you listened to the commentary on the... I'm sure you have not. <laughs> I listened to the commentary of the uh, Garden State DVD because I own it. I haven't because I watched it for the first time yesterday. <laughs> Great. Well, I've watched the commentary on the DVD, and every time, like, a new scene occurs, he's like, yeah, we were just thinking about, like, exploring something different with this shot. Like, really capture something true. And I'm like... Give me a break, Zach Braff. You're the worst. Yeah. So you're right. This is Vanity Projects. And this is the whole issue with, uh, you know, this is why you can point to Sam, Natalie Portman's character, as one of the ultimate, like, manic pixie tropes, is the fact that, like, the manic pixie dream girl trope doesn't have anything to say about that person. Right. They're only there to exact certain feelings on Zach Braff. Right. More vanity. Right. Well, it's also kind of like, I don't know, sexist maybe a little bit. Sexist? I mean, yeah, I think it exists the, in a tradition of, you know, I mean, Andrew Largeman, played by Zach Braff, is <laughs> like very much like a Philip Roth-esque character of like, how does the world affect me? Can, my weird anecdote? Tell me yours. So the soundtrack for this movie... 
The Shins. The Shins. Nick Drake. Oof. Only Living Boy in New York. I have to say, though, that... Wait, what, what year was Rushmore? Or not Rushmore. Um, Royal Tenenbaums. That's like 03. So I definitely right, was introduced right to Nick time. Drake before Garden State. Because Fly is at the end of that film. Right? And uh, please give me a second grace. That's a fly. Okay. But good impression. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I feel like this. This is like a like a real, um, well, not even a re, right? Because nobody knew who Nick Drake was, and then like people sort of found his music and brought it to popular awareness. But wasn't but Nick so Drake how, so, always pretty popular, just no. by like kind of an underground? No. Like really not. Like no one knew who he was. I don't know if I, I don't know if I believe all that. All right, well, you know, read up on it. Um, but one of these things first, How right? Dare you? Is one of the access points for people of our generation to like find Nick Drake, right? Okay, fine. How I found him was also in a movie where one of these things first was used, and I was profoundly affected by it. What movie was that? It was three years later. A little movie called Seven Pounds. <laughs> How weird is that, right? Wait, what's seven? Is it the Will Smith movie? The Will Smith movie where he, uh, he like slowly kills himself with a jellyfish and gives all of his organs to different people that he's maybe wronged. I never saw that one. That is pretty... that Rosario Dawson? Uh, yeah, that's right. My Garden State is 500 Days of Summer, by the way. And I was happy to see that this movie had the, the Jeffrey Arendt. I just find that, like, the intentions of 500 Days of Summer were, like, far more admirable than the intentions of Garden State. I was uh, a little kid, and I was crying for one reason or another, and uh, she was just, like, you know, cradling me and rocking me back and forth. I can remember seeing the the little balls in this thing just sort of floating back and forth, and uh, and it was just, like, snot dripping down my nose, right? Do you have anything to wrap this up? This movie also suffers from exposition problems. Maybe this movie should have been more fucked up. That's what I was thinking. When Zach Braff is like... The fucking latch, man. Isn't that fucked up enough? The stupid fucking latch. Yeah. There should have been... You don't feel like catching your teardrops in a little paper (sighs) cup isn't, like, edgy and fucked up enough, Chance? No, there should be more The fragile male sort of ego. on drugs. That would at least... And what's his name who invented, like, uh, Silent Velcro? Which isn't a thing. I wish it was. Yeah. Bright Al- Spot? Aldous Huxley. Huxtable. Huxtable. That's what the guy said, but it yeah. is Huxley. Yeah. Um, should we come in Bright Spot for a second? Peter Sarsgaard's hair. Oh, killing it. But everyone knows one of those guys, too. You have to. There's one of those guys who, like, should have got down there but didn't. He's so funny in this movie. Don't tease me for my hobbies. I don't tease you about being an asshole. <laughs> He's great. Yeah. He collects those Desert Storm trading cards. A little jockey, a little dangerous, a little geeky. He's definitely, like, a loose cannon. Like, you don't yeah. know. Like, and even Zach Braff's character calls him out on being, like, what are we going to do? Like, what does he say? Like, watch, like, weasels rape each other or something? <laughs> <laughs> like bulldogs, I think. Yeah, okay, bulldogs. That's so funny. Yeah. 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 Um, Good luck with your infinite abyss, Chance. That was annoying. I found that to be irritating. Most of that movie's irritating. Uh, you, are you ready for a three film spanning question? Yeah, go for it. Whose sad bastardness across these three films is the most earned? Ooh. 
That's yeah. a nice one. Well, we could just throw out This Is Where I Leave You, because it's like a garbage film that no one really put any effort into. I mean, and would it be too easy to be like William Hurt, because he's the only one in any of these movies that served in Vietnam. It was like made mechanically impotent by Vietnam. But are we talking about like, well, who are we calling the sad guy of like Garden State? Are we calling it Largeman or are we calling it like Peter Sarsgaard? I mean, you can include Sarsgaard, but like... Sarsgaard is the William Hurt of Garden very, State. You're totally right about that. Okay. I would say, because the protagonist, I would say, of Big Chill is probably Kevin Klein. Yeah, but it also might be Nick, William Hurt, because he ends up staying with him at the end. Yeah, but, but he doesn't I'd really buy. show up until, yeah, like, I'd they're buy. the first person to get the call. Can we talk about what, you're t you're right about that. The movie opens with them. Quick ripoff, Adam Driver speeding up in a Porsche late to the funeral when William Hurt sped late to the yeah, funeral just in does, a Porsche. Yeah, it just does cliches. Do we have a par final parting note? What, so, why can't people just be happy? Maybe my question for you is, what's like the takeaway of this genre? Like, what is it trying to teach people? Why do people go to see like these kinds of films? Because I feel like people long for a kind of emotionalism that comes out. Seeing people change so they don't have to. Yeah, out of a moment of clarity that's basically forced upon us by other people dying. Right. Because like the the massive prologue to all of these movies is decades of like living in self-ignorance right and or living so, in some sort of like unpleasant situation like with something unsaid yes yeah we long for the moments when when like we don't have any choice but to say what we need to say they need to have some major event happen in their life for them to change as people when they could just easily just wake up the next morning and do something else yeah i don't know that someone, something will force you awake in terms yeah, of your like, own. I mean, I feel like a lot of people are living with the false impression that they're going to have that moment where they're like, yeah. Right. I saw her today at the reception A glass of wine in her hand I knew she was going to meet her connection At her feet I think this is a great episode. Thank you. Yeah, I think I you would were love, fantastic. I think you were. Thank you for coming to Brooklyn. I'm really happy to be here. I love that you're here. Do you want to hug it out after this? I would. Look, when we turn off the mics, I'd love to hug it out. Let's, we can't turn them off soon enough. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, well, you might find.